welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. In, in that explanation that Jesus gives to his disciples to be ready for this moment, he asks them to remain together in prayer in Jerusalem. And he, he expects them to anticipate another helper. And they've been obedient uh, to this request because St. Luke records in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So like them, now we together are all in one place And this week we've been anticipating, I I think, I have anyways, been anticipating the coming of the one Jesus told us would come, the Holy Spirit. Today's readings demonstrate that arrival. So a little bit of review. The key verses from the Gospel of John chapter 14 say, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These verses from John that Jesus speaks point us to that coming. And we are reminded that it is the provision of Jesus that will bring about a deep abiding relationship with him and the heavenly father through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is to say that Jesus has to leave for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that's what happens. And he speaks, at least in John, about his anticipate his coming departure because he wants the spirit, this other helper to assist his disciples. The Holy Spirit is described as a helper, the spirit of truth, the one who dwells in those who believe. The Greek word parakletos is always in the gospel used by Jesus who speaks of the spirit as sent to supply the need of the followers after his departure. And so it's the spirit that's going to be with his disciples continually and uh, indeed not just to be with them, but to be in them also. The spirit is to be their teacher. The spirit is to remind them of all that Jesus said. He bears witness to Christ. He is one who who does work in an unbeliever's life, namely to convict them of their sin and righteousness and judgment. And he can only come when Jesus goes away. It's only because Christ has died for us and put away our sins that the Holy Spirit can be found within our own hearts. In all of these things, he's the helper, the friend who does whatever is necessary uh, to forward the disciples and our best interest, to, to move us forward in faith as we seek to serve our Lord in advance of his mission and ministry. So Luke records in Acts that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The believers were being obedient to Christ's command to wait in Jerusalem, and they presumably were in the upper room where they had been during the feast of the Last Supper. When this phenomenon occurs and the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost, by the way, it's also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. 
It's really interesting. It, it was a commanded festival time, according to Leviticus chapter 23. And it, this commanded festival time meant that if you were a faithful Jew, you showed up in Jerusalem from wherever you lived in the, in the world, most likely the, the modern Roman world at the time. And the Jews would make their pilgrimages to Jerusalem to worship there and to offer their initial produce to the Lord as Thanksgiving. So it was a spring festival, uh, just much like it is right now. And, and Pentecost is the early part of June. And maybe not in Pennsylvania, but in other parts of the world, there are already first fruits that are available for people. Um, uh, the other day I was driving past someone's house and I saw their tomato plants were already knee high. And I thought, that's impossible. <laughs> uh, no tomatoes, though. But people would bring their first fruits to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would offer them to God as a way of saying to God, all is yours, God. All has been given by you. And we're going to recognize the blessings that you've already bestowed upon us. And we're going to give back to you some of what's first. And so that's the reason for all of the people from around the world, faithful Jews from around the world, to be present in Jerusalem at the time. And so the festival provided a unique opportunity in which to proclaim this new message of the gospel. Everyone is in Jerusalem to offer these first gifts. And God utilizes this moment to show the world what the first fruits will really look like. It's not about tomatoes or carrots or wheat. It's actually about the first fruits of the gospel moving forward. It's about those who come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They're the first fruits at Pentecost. The disciples themselves become first fruits of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit arrives, he's described as one who comes in the sound of a mighty rushing wind that fills the house. Apparently that noise was intended to attract attention. Because it's in that moment that it gives the disciples the opportunity to explain what was going on. They were asked a series of questions, right? The, the party that's going on, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. At some point, that party moves outside. And they begin to explain, Peter does at least, explain what's going on and what the noise is about. People are curious about it. I think that's always true. The works of God always create interest. When a medical miracle occurs and someone is healed of a disease or illness, people are interested in that. The works of God in our lives are worth retelling, I think, also because people will be curious about that. Second spectacular phenomena that occurs is that the tongues of fire appear to them and rest on each one. So I pointed out the candle here. Uh, we think about each of these disciples in the, holy, um, in the upper room become candles, right? They, they, their, their heads light up because the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and shows up on the, on the top of each of the individuals and they, they become, a, they burst into flame. They light up so that others living in the darkness might find the way, the truth and the life. It's, it seems that the point of this is that each one is given the ability to witness with power of the Spirit, for they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately they begin to speak in various tongues that the visitors to Jerusalem understood in their native mind, their native tongue. They, they are witnesses of the church 
that points the nations to Jesus. They're able to speak about what's happening and they describe this, this event. The ability of those believers to speak the languages of the people, I think, allowed for the proclamation of the gospel in a really powerful way. Uh, I think of it also in terms of the reading from Genesis. That's a moment in the, the story where God confuses the people and, and forces them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They, they weren't doing that. They were disobeying God in the Tower of Babel in that Old Testament story. They were sticking together. It's really weird. They wanted to make a name for themselves. It's described, but they already were all together. Who who were they making a name for themselves for? Right? And God gives them different language, and as a result, they can't speak to one another. They can't communicate anymore. And and as you know, language separates us. If if you travel to a, a country that you're not familiar with their native language, you have a hard time getting through customs. You have a hard time filling out the paperwork on the airplane to get through customs. And, and, and it's a difficult task to find the bathroom right? or get dinner or whatever. We have a hard time in that way. But here what happens at Pentecost is that is removed. And it's removed for one reason. It's removed so that people would come to know the truth about Jesus. So that the, the gospel could be clearly communicated to all that were in Jerusalem to bring first fruits to God. To bring the best of their initial produce And all of a sudden they encounter the truth about who Jesus is. Third, as a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit, each believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we must speak, I think, with precision about this because many difficulties have come to the church as a result of misunderstanding this passage. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus commented, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In no other place in Acts is the term baptized in the Spirit used after this second chapter. Subsequent to this, we read that those who have faith receive the Spirit or that it comes upon someone. And when it does occur in Acts, it happens to those who are the last of the Old Testament believers who need to be filled with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21 uses a synonym for filled or being filled to describe the filling of the Holy Spirit as a quality of the Christian life rather than a special event. And then also 1 Corinthians chapter 12 affirms that all believers, all believers were baptized rather than they need to be baptized. When one becomes a Christian at conversion, the Holy Spirit fills and baptizes each one into the unity of faith in Jesus Christ. I think this is why many churches have a little baptismal font at the entrance to the, the, the church to remind the congregation that they may, as they enter, that they have been baptized into Christ. And honestly, it allows us to reenact our baptism, to remind ourselves of that moment when we've been baptized, to, to dip our fingers in the baptismal water that before the service I prayed over and asked the Lord to bless. 
and sanctify. And then we would cross ourselves like this as a way of saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm remembering this week as I come to church, I'm remembering that I'm a baptized Christian. I am baptized. I'm part of the family. And it's a, it's a helpful way for us to, to remember that we are the Lord's and that we've received the Holy Spirit. So the filling of the believers by the Holy Spirit means some very specific things for them. And the gift of speaking in various tongues is of first importance for preaching and proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God and the one who takes away the sin of the world. That was the initial sermon that Peter preached. Uh, We didn't read that half of chapter 2, but immediately after the part that we read, Peter stands up when he gets outside and he explains why this is the case. And in doing so, he reminds the people that they are experiencing the power of God in their lives because they believe in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, by the way, that's for you, too. Peter doesn't say it's just for us. It's interesting that this happens in this context because the Jewish people in this time and and era were about creating walls to keep people away. They didn't want anyone to be part of their system, religious system. And so they created all these rules so that others couldn't participate rightly. Oh, you had to be Jewish, first of all. If you weren't Jewish, you kind of were out of luck. And here Peter says, no, actually, it's not that way anymore. It's for everybody. Anybody's welcome to be part of this. And you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here, at least in this story, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I think it's true all the way through the rest of the New Testament. The filling of the Holy Spirit is primarily for evangelistic purposes. And we instantly note that the crowd that has gathered there is wondering what's going on. So Peter preaches and witnesses to the power of the Spirit that's being demonstrated to explain what's happening. The main body of the sermon has five main items. I mentioned some of them already. Jesus' life and ministry. In other words, Peter describes the miracles and wonders and signs that Jesus does. Devices by which God accredited him. It's through the signs and wonders that people can see that Jesus is the real deal. He's not some charlatan trying to sucker people into following him. No, he actually has the power and the authority to heal people and to, and to speak into their hearts and lives because he sees that stuff. And Peter speaks about that. Second, Peter talks about the death and resurrection of Christ. Third, the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. As a result of that, therefore, Jesus must be confessed as both Lord That is absolute authority, deity, and sovereignty. He's accredited that way, but he's also understood as the Christ. That is the Messiah, the the anointed servant of the Lord who came to deliver his people from tyranny and sin. And then fifth, the power of the Holy Spirit that's displayed in those hearing the sermon because they obviously were cut to the heart. Chapter 2, verse 37 says, after Peter's done preaching, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. In other words, the Holy Spirit does the work on them that he was supposed to do. He spoke to them about their sinfulness. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. That's why on Pentecost Sunday, often we have baptisms. Because this is, if we were here in the baptismal font, we would be remembering this this quite literal thing that happened historically thousands of years ago. 
So on the day of Pentecost, Luke tells us that following the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the believers went out and preached a powerful sermon. And those who received this word were baptized. And what are the results? It's unbelievable. And there were added that day about 3,000 people, 3,000 souls. Jesus calls 12 men to be his followers. And in one 90-second sermon that we have recorded, and we can read the sermon of Peter in Acts chapter 2 in about 90 seconds, two minutes. In that period of time, the Holy Spirit convicts 3,000 people of who Jesus is so that they ask the question, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter responds, repent. In other words, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and be baptized. And you will also receive the Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable. Luke also notes um, that there were 70 or so in total who were part of Jesus's ministry entourage. And Luke notes in his gospel that the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was to go and said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send his laborers. Peter preaches this first sermon and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. That's every preacher's dream. When I was in seminary, right, I, I was forced <laughs> in seminary, right, for a grade, forced to preach and to practice preaching, right? And it was all of our classmates and we would sit there in terror while one of our classmates preached because we knew we were next. But at the same time, we were practicing this, hoping that someday the Lord would use our sermons and our preaching to, to change hearts. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, the words that we studied a whole week and prepared would be things that would make space for the Holy Spirit to change lives. On that day of Pentecost, more believers are added to that little band of believers than through Christ's entire earthly ministry. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, greater works than these shall you do. And so we see in this story, at least a literal fulfillment of the statement. Why shouldn't we see a literal fulfillment of God's word in us? Uh, The filling of the Holy Spirit also means other gifts are given by God to believers as well. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are given tools for the work of ministry. It's not only for the proclamation of the gospel, although I think that one is automatic. That's always the case. And we should always think about proclaiming the gospel. And that is what the disciples did when they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke about Jesus. They proclaimed him. That's part of the automaticness of the Holy Spirit being upon us. But other gifts were given as well. And St. Paul describes these gifts after explaining that the gifts come from the same spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12 notes a variety of gifts, uh, kinds of service and kinds of activities. He says messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, Speaking in various tongues. There it is. Paul recognized this from Acts chapter 2. And interpreting those languages. 
It's because of those gifts, those things, that they may produce sometimes a temptation to think that they are our own personal abilities. And we might find ourselves, if we have one of these gifts, kind of proud about it. When in fact, really, it's a gift from the Lord for his work and for his service. Paul says it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And these things, again, are not to be performed for the benefit of the one that holds the gift. But they're to be performed for the benefit and the manifestation of the spirit, the benefit of the church. They are given, these gifts are given for the common good. So I don't have time here to define each gift, but it's important to note that these gifts um, are the product of the Holy Spirit. And they're intended for the edification of the church, that is the building up of the church. And so all Christians, despite any inequalities in whatever former existence we had, whether differences in education or financial resources or socioeconomic status or gender or age or race or heritage, whatever differences, they've now all been brought into one body by a common experience of the spirit in baptism. These gifts that are given cannot in their entirety be produced in human lives by unaided self-effort. Why? Because they're they're supernatural in nature. They they come from God. They contain the power and the authority of God as well. Sometimes, I think, for me anyways, it's hard to engage with the Spirit. It, It can be difficult for us to set aside worldly differences in one another and to appreciate the gifts of the Spirit that have been given in various Christians. It can also be difficult to engage the Spirit because often with our modern minds, we want to evaluate and critique everything just so, in order that we might control the the moment or have authority over it because of our understanding or our experience. I, I think, though, today we have an opportunity not simply to be aware of our Christian history at Pentecost, but to participate in it. This is, I think, as I read the scripture, this is what God wants for us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the divine life combining with and working with his created creature, humanity. And in whatever forms we take, Whatever ways we look, whatever background we have, it's, it's God participating with us and empowering us to do things, godly things. And so I want to encourage us to think about how to engage the spirit even beyond and through our modern minds that desire to evaluate and critique. You know, this, the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach sort of sounds like the wind, doesn't it? Ruach. Um, I once was walking with my kids on a hike around a lake, beautiful lake. We were hiking in Georgia and um, we were down along the shore of the lake, but way up high on a little bit of a ridge was a stand of pine trees and the wind was blowing in those pine trees and we, it was loud. It caught us off guard. The lake was glass because it was down low. We stopped and we looked up and I said, do you hear that? We listened to the wind blowing, you know, in the wind through the trees. I said, what's it sound like? And we listened and I said, Ruach, Ruach. And they're like, dad, you're weird. (laughs) 
Yes, I know. <laughs> right? It means the breath or spirit or wind of God. The breath or spirit or wind of God. We can't see the wind. You can't see the wind. You can only see the effect of the wind in the trees. Or you can hear the effect of the wind. Right? It's interesting. We can only be willing to see and experience the Holy Spirit. We can't control it. We can't make it blow a certain way. But we can prepare ourselves for the moment in our lives and hearts. And so each week, we join together to prepare ourselves by hearing God's word read and preached. We pray. We make corporate confession together. We participate in the celebration of Eucharist. And today we can ask God to present be present to us and fill us in new ways with his Holy Spirit. I grew up in the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, fantastic little denomination of faithful, godly people. And I became a Christian when I was eight years old. And for some reason, I wasn't baptized right away. I don't know, my parents, my grandfather was a pastor. He was alive at the time too, but he, he never encouraged my parents to have me baptized um, right away as I became a Christian. And so for one reason or another, I just wasn't baptized until I was out of college. I was much many years later and I was starting into ministry and I already received a call to ministry by the Lord. And I was a year into that ministry. and I realized, wait a second, if I'm not baptized, I'm kind of being disobedient here to the Lord. I, I need to go through with this and be baptized. And so I asked a local pastor who was friends with my grandfather to baptize me. I was out in Northern California. And he baptized me. And I wanted to be baptized outside. I wanted to be baptized in a baptismal font. I had a whole bunch of reasons for this. I thought, well, if Jesus was baptized outside, then I should be also. Right? So anyways, we went outside. We found another camp that had a little baptismal font. And we got in the baptismal font. And this dear elderly pastor was friends with my grandfather, who was also a pastor. He baptized me. And as I came up out of the water, he said to me, whispered in my ear, only loud enough for me to hear. Don, watch for the Holy Spirit in your life. And I was like, okay. And I spent the next year watching for the Holy Spirit in my life. And I didn't see him anywhere. And I was frustrated. I went a year. I'm paying attention. I'm listening. I'm watching for the Lord in my life. I didn't experience him at all. One day I was hanging out with a friend of mine who was on my staff. I was a program director to camp. I was on staff with this guy. We were out on a bike ride together. He happened to be the junior national champion. He's a really good bike rider. I was trying to keep up with him. And in the middle of breathing, I'm trying to keep up. He says, hey, um, how you doing? I noticed that you've been frustrated lately. And I was like, yeah, I'm frustrated. He's like, how come? I said, I'm frustrated because... A year ago, I was baptized, and the pastor said to me, be watching for the Holy Spirit in your life. And I haven't experienced the Holy Spirit at all. What is going on? I'm frustrated about this. And he said to me, Steve did. What, what time did you get up this morning? <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? Uh, I got up at 5 o'clock this morning. He said, what did you do this morning? I, don't, I read my Bible, and then I spent some time praying. He said, what time did you get up yesterday? Five o'clock, what'd you do? I read my Bible. He said, how long have you been doing that? I said, well, I don't know, a, a year. <laughs> He's like, really? You can't see the Holy Spirit in your life? I was like, well, I, what are you talking about? 
He said, ever since I knew you, I hired him the year before. He said, ever since I knew you, you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning. You spend an hour reading your Bible and a half an hour praying before you go to work. You can't see the Holy Spirit in your life. He has put in you a hunger and a desire for his word that you didn't have before. I was like knocked off my bike. I couldn't believe it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I discovered the Holy Spirit had placed this desire in me to read and know and understand God's word. Now, I'm not saying telling you the story because that's going to be your experience. It's not. It might I mean it might be. And that would be awesome. Be careful about being on a bike. Um, but I'm telling you this story because God is faithful. And he, he will show up and he will give you gifts. I found in that moment, in that conversation on the bike, that I realized I could barely find enough time to read my Bible. That was the foundation for reading God's word, I think, that prepared me for a life of ministry. We might find that we have a hesitancy about the Holy Spirit because we are afraid or embarrassed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Haven't we all seen on television Images of people laughing or barking or falling over or all number of things, right? During my seminary studies, though, uh, when Sarah and I were attending graduate school, we went to a fantastic uh, Episcopal church at the time, and the rector there invited a wonderful couple one year to uh, teach and preach and pray with the congregation about the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the week of lectures... We held a prayer service where we invited the Holy Spirit to meet us individually and corporately. And it was an amazing time of ministry. And yet, throughout the whole service, my role that evening was to act as the MC, the Master of Ceremonies. It was a big church. There were probably 500 people in attendance that evening. And and so we had this big staff, and I was uh, finished with my seminary degree by that point and working towards ordination. And and we, we had this... Dear old, I, I mean that lovingly, they, they were elderly couple. Like the, the wife was, I don't know, she was five foot two probably and not, but 70, 95 pounds soaking wet. I mean, she, she was this little tiny thing. But they were so filled and full of the Holy Spirit. And they preached and taught us all week. And then they had this moment of prayer. And one by one, we all would come forward and pray. And some people experienced powerful filling of the Holy Spirit in new ways. And, and they would fall over and we would, you know, we'd catch them and we'd set them in a chair. And the whole time I'm watching this happen because I'm, I'm, I know I'm the last guy that's going to get prayed for. I'm the last one. I got to make sure everybody's all right and it's all going well. The service is going well. And I'm saying to the Lord, please don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me. And I had this ongoing for like what was maybe 45 minutes of ministry that these two were doing, this ongoing conversation with the Lord. And that pretty much was it. Please don't embarrass me, right? I didn't want to look silly. I didn't want to have a, a, um, be embarrassed. But, and yet at the same time, what I found that I wanted was an experience of God more than anything. And so finally I got to the moment where there was nobody else in line. Everybody had been prayed for, even the pastor, um, and I'm watching all this happen, and I'm like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I, I, want, I want the Holy Spirit. I want God to be present. And so I went up, and I stood before this, this lady. And she started praying for me. 
And she put her hands on my head. And in that moment, it was like somebody had cracked open my head and poured, this might sound gross, <laughs> but poured like warm honey in my head. And it went all the way through my body. And I had this in, unbelievable sense of God's presence and peace like I had never had before. It was beautiful. Then I'd have this ecstatic moment. You know, I'd, I didn't fall over barking or anything like that. I just had this awesome, awesome private and quiet moment with the Lord. Yeah. And my fears were relieved at that time. And I shared a special moment with God. What we are commanded to do in Scripture, Ephesians 5.18 says, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which, uh, I'm told, grammatically, represents a, a, a present imperative. Which means an ongoing action. It's not a one-time deal. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, occurs at our conversion. And it reoccurs. And reoccurs. And reoccurs. It's an ongoing, daily invitation for the Lord to use us, to change us, to give us whatever gifts he wants, to infect us with his godly stuff. So I don't think it's much a matter of getting more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, presumably, we all possess the Holy Spirit completely at conversion. I think rather it's a matter of his possessing us more. Each of us is to aspire to give the Holy Spirit full control of our lives. And I think when that happens, we manifest whatever gifts God has intended for you to have, along with all the fruit and acts of his empowering that he wishes to display through you. So I don't really know what the Lord has for you today. I don't, I don't know you all. I don't know what the Lord has given you, what gifts he's given you. I don't know how those gifts are to be worked out in your life. I do know that today, as we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit, you are invited to an experience of him, though. And so I want to do something perhaps a little bit different. I did not ask Father Eric if I could do this because I was afraid he'd say no. And sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. This is one of those moments, so I'm just going to lean into this a little bit. But... I want to, we're going to come for Eucharist. We come to the altar. We're going to offer ourselves. Think of it this way, right? You come down the center aisle. You, you offer yourselves to the Lord. We, we actually do this. We put our hands out like, God, I need you. And I'm giving myself to you also. We're, we're making our offering to the Lord to be an offering to him. And to receive the body and blood of Jesus as the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Once we return to our seats, I want to ask you to spend some time praying. I think there will be music that's playing, but I, I want you to return to your seats and I want you to continue in prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to be with you. And when we're all done, I'm going to ask that if anybody wants to come forward again, that um, Monique and I will be here and we're going to pray for you to receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And I have some oil too. We'll anoint you with oil and we'll pray for you toward that end. I'm not expecting anybody or everybody to, to come forward, but I want to make that invitation for us. 
While we're doing that, praying for somebody, I want to encourage you to continue praying that the Holy Spirit would show up in your life, but also that the Holy Spirit would show up in the life of the person that comes forward. So let's be together in the upper room and let's wait together tonight for a few minutes for the Holy Spirit to show up as we pray for one another to fill us new. Um, of course, and then after the service is over, I'm, I'm also still available too. If you'd rather not do it in this form or fashion, I'm available. We can pray later on too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would move among us now and fill us with your Holy Spirit. That being filled, we would know more fully the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus And we would be strengthened and empowered for ministry so that the mighty works of God would be proclaimed and manifest in and through your people. We ask this through your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the